Hello, this is Risa Courier, host of the Alliance podcast, coming to you from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. Today, I am joined by Jim Tedford, President and CEO of the Association for Animal Welfare Advancement, known to most of us as the Association. So thank you, Jim, for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Jim, um, first, h- how are you doing? How how are things in your community during this crazy time? Well, you know, kind of like everybody else, I think. I, I live in East Tennessee, just outside of Knoxville. The association is a purely remote kind of virtual organization. We have a, a team of, of six folks, but we're all over the country working from home offices. So this social isolation thing is not new for us. It's something we've, right. we, we've gotten used to just in our day-to-day work, but it still is is pretty crazy, I think, here in our community and every other community. The, the good news here is I think folks are really taking it seriously. And I, I've noticed that there there seems to be far less traffic and far less activity when I've had to run out to, you know, to do essential things. I, I've just noticed that there's there's not much happening out there, which I hopefully is a good sign. Hopefully that'll that'll mean that this will will come and go quickly. Yeah, that seems to be the case, I live um, just outside of the DC metro area in Alexandria, and it's it seems to be coming home for people. They just shut down the parks and uh, the school playgrounds, and I think that was when most people had the realization: okay, this is um, something we really need to pay attention to, and no social gathering, even in outdoor spaces, which, um, you know, makes it hard because I have two young kids and they, they want to be on the playground, but it's just, you know, every day it's something different and a new challenge. And so, so here we are. Um, (laughs) so last year I, I actually had the opportunity to attend a panel that you were on at Expo and it was actually one of my favorite um, sessions because it, you were sharing and other folks on the panel were sharing their experiences on how they had ended up where they were in animal welfare. And I was surprised by how circuitous uh, the path was for everybody and all the different job functions they had performed in shelters and um, in, in other organizations. And I thought your Um, career path was particularly interesting because you had worked in so many different types of organizations in different parts of the country. Um, So now when I think about all your experience that, you know, you must be really feeling for and have a unique perspective on how all the different types of shelters and, and animal welfare organizations, the burdens they're experiencing right now. So what um how how did that your background prepare you for understanding the challenges they're facing well you know it's really interesting i started my first shelter job almost 36 years ago um which is hard to believe every time i think about it it's like it feels like you know it feels like weeks not not 
decades ago that, that I got into this crazy field. And it, the interesting thing is back then, 36 years ago, every day sort of felt like a crisis. Right. Uh, I, I was working in a, a building that was about 4,000 square feet, and that's, that's probably being generous. We had a staff of 12 people. And in that little facility with that tiny staff, we handled nearly 14,000 animals a year. Oh my so needless to say, it was not a pretty picture. We were, we were making life and death decisions by the minute in, in that environment. So, you know, that, that I, I always share that because I think it's really important for folks to understand where we came from so that we hopefully will never have to worry about getting back there. I think we, the last thing we want to do is backslide into a world where overpopulation is the norm nationwide. But that was the case back then. So I, you know, over the years I've worked for really under-resourced organizations in the deep south, um, and I've worked for very well-resourced organizations in the northeast. Um, I work for two national organizations, including the job I have now with mm -hmm. the association. Um, and I think one thing that I have learned is that we have to be ready to handle any sort of disaster or crisis, no matter what, how big or small or where you are, how rural or urban or how well-resourced or how poor an organization is, you've got to be ready to deal with this and be, and be a leader when it comes to the animal component of, of these sorts mm -hmm. of things. So it's always amazed me. I think, you know, I found, I found mentors early on that I really looked up to and really watched what they did and, and, and sort of took their lead. And it's the thing that has amazed me, I think more than anything else about our industry is the, the way that we man together it's 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 kind of remarkable we have a lot of different types of individuals and types of organizations we've got a you know gazillion different operating philosophies and all of right. that but when it comes to something like this we we have this tendency to put all of that aside and and band together and really work together this this particular crisis you know 3 weeks ago when things first started to, to look like they were going to go downhill, we got involved in, in a, a very small group of leaders from other organizations from around the country and started having regular phone calls. And, and those phone calls have grown. Last Friday, our, our executive VP, Catherine Chenard, participated in the call, which started out with about five or six people. And last week, they had 130 people on that oh call. Oh, my goodness. So it's everybody's looking for, for help and leadership and support. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of amazing how they all came together and, and put any differences they may have aside and really started focusing on what's in the best interest of, of the animals and the people we serve every day. That's great. And it seems that no matter what community you serve, whether it's a, you know, a rural county or a big a big city like we serve in Washington, D.C., we are all navigating many of the same issues, whether it's, you know, trying to liaison with your city or county officials, and they are juggling so many balls. So trying to keep on their radar that there's this animal component to families as well, and that needs to be addressed in any sort of disaster response. And everything from staffing issues, we all have staff who are getting sick um, or on quarantine or afraid to come in 
to how do we deal um, with caring for a possible intake of animals, animals that may be uh, potentially contaminated. So all of those things we are navigating simultaneously and collectively. And I've been so impressed with your uh, the association's COVID response kit that you've assembled in conjunction with HSUS because it is so rich with all these materials from organizations that they have just put out everything to share. So there is nobody trying to reinvent the wheel. If somebody is struggling um, with what to do in their shelter, everything from staffing to creating a foster program, it's all there. And um, even how to address certain HR issues with your staff, everything. It, it's just such a comprehensive resource. And as you said, it's its really wonderful to see all the shelters pulling together this way and being so transparent and um, so generous with sharing these resources. So how did how did you first decide to partner with HSUS and, and why did you create this, this kit? That's a great question. One of our priorities from the beginning of this crisis has been to, to sort of try and quiet some of the noise and help prioritize the, the information that organizations really need to know. Uh, you know, I, I don't have to tell you that our inboxes are flooded constantly with right. with all manner of of things, including remarkably um, solicitations for things, which I have found really really kind of phenomenal in a time in a time like this that we're still getting solicitations from from folks wanting to wanting us to hire them as consultants and whatnot. yes. <laughs> um, but, but we were, you know, we're getting a tremendous amount of, of information and much of it really valid, valuable, helpful information, but, but nobody has the time to read all of that and to, to filter right. through all of it, to look for the, the bits that they really need. So we thought the kit would be a great place to sort of compile the, the key resources that are, it's sort of the basic stuff that everybody needs to know. And we, we um, Catherine got together with Kim Album at HSUS and the two of them sort of hustled to, to pull together what they thought was the best of the best information for organizations out there. The other thing about that kit is that we knew going into it that it would not be just sort of this static thing. It had to be, we had to be willing to, to continue to update it and change it because th things are changing every hour. And so we, we really tried to focus hard on making sure that the information in there is the most up-to-date available. The other thing that that just we just started is we're, we're also emailing out a daily digest. We have a number of national organizations and, and several local organizations as well who are contributing to this thing. And what we've done is basically set up sort of an online newsletter that's just got very, very short snippets about various um, articles or policies or position statements that have been developed. And included with the article is a is a link to, to you know, if you want to go read more and read the entire thing. So it's very much like a blog post 
but we cover sort of the gamut, everything from animal care to the whole spay neuter issue to fundraising and communication and self-care, all of those various components that go into responding to a crisis like this are covered in this daily digest. And the idea behind it is if a shelter leader has no time to filter through all of the dozens of emails they're getting with all sorts of resources. They have one, it's sort of one-stop shopping to go and read through and, and, and find out what's, what's changed today, what they really need to know today. So it's a, it's a great way at a glance to, to see what's going on. And then if they want to dig deeper, that's an option as well. So we're really, we're really proud of that. Proud of it because I think it's incredibly valuable information for leaders in the industry, but also also because of the, the group effort that it has taken to pull it together. That's great. Well, I look forward to getting that. So do you just go to the association's website to sign up? Is that yeah. the best way? Okay, perfect. Yep, absolutely. I, will, I will do this, do that as soon as we're done. <laughs> so a lot of um, shelters are coming up with very creative ways to um, to enforce the social distancing while also caring for the animals and making sure the animals are going into foster. So um, at our organization, uh, St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in New Jersey, we were able to have people drive up and we put the foster animals in their car. Um, and that actually proved to be pretty efficient. And then we also, um, here in DC at HRA, we had our um, all of our um, foster parents um, just pull up and we pulled the animals out of the car for their medical appointments. And that occurred to us that that actually might be something uh, we hang on to because not only for does that prevent infectious diseases in, in humans from passing from one to another, that keeps the animal, you know, bringing them in through the back door, um, keeping them in their carrier, that minimizes their exposure to other animals in our facility. So I'm curious if you see any of these creative solutions that shelters are coming up with, do you see them lasting and, and us hanging on to them and maybe some of these choices and um, changes in protocol might, might carry over once we're out of this um, really difficult period? Yeah, boy, I really hope so. I hope some of these great ideas have got legs and, and last beyond the crisis. I think there's some really phenomenal things that have come out of it. You know, it's it, they say necessity is the mother of, of invention. And I right. think we as an industry are, are, are sort of fundamentally innovative. I, mm -hmm. You know, having having been in it for so long, I remember a time when nobody really had the resources to do everything they wanted to do. So we had to be really creative. We had to learn how to stretch that penny as far as we could stretch it and, and, uh, and be as creative as we could be in coming up with solutions. You know, I watch people build their own um, enrichment toys and devices because they couldn't afford to go out and buy things. Right. So I, I think a lot of the ideas that have come from this hopefully will carry over. One of the things that I really hope is, is long lasting after the fact is I hope folks really reconsider some of their, their rules and policies. I know one of the things we've seen is a lot of organizations have relaxed some of their rules a bit. Foster, foster care is a great example. You know, I, I, I think some organizations put up so many barriers to, to mm -hmm. foster homes 
drums that that it just discourages folks from wanting to participate and and let's face it those animals in foster care if you can get them out of the shelter quickly and get them into a home environment they're going to thrive in that environment so much more than they would in a shelter even the even the finest most wonderful sheltering facility is not as as conducive to to you know looking at behavior and health and all of those things as as a private home would be so you know but we sometimes we make it too hard for folks so i think during this crisis recognizing that that we may all be working with skeleton crews and and things mm-hmm. you know we we may really have to we may have to get extraordinarily creative very important that we get our populations our our censuses within shelters down and I've been amazed. I mean, I, I'm I'm seeing shelters all over the country who's who are reporting that their censuses are way down because they've they've loosened up. They've they've in, they've communicated, which is the other big thing. I think with everything we do, fundamentally, communication has to be at the core of it. And I think getting the word out to the folks in our communities that they can play a role here. There's something they can do, even if they're even if they're sheltering in place and and you know socially isolating at home. There are still things that they can do to contribute to the well-being of of, of their communities. And foster care is easy. You know, it's it, most of us have got pets already, so taking in one more for for a few weeks is not going to be that big of a challenge. So, and and people have stepped up. When when we asked, they always do, mm-hmm. and and they and we asked, and they did. So I'm I'm hearing right. that from all over the place that you know adoptions are way up, and and um, the number of foster homes has just gotten out of control. It's so great. So. Um, yeah, I think I think communication being at the core of that is is really the key. Let if we communicate a need and share with folks what's happening, and then trust them to do what's right, instead of just assuming the worst about folks. I, I remember yes. years years ago, I was talking to an adoption counselor in a shelter, and she her explanation of the way she managed an adoption was that she started with no, and let the mm. the adopter convince her why she should change her mind. And oh I'm like, that's not exactly what we're after here. That's not right. exactly that's not exactly the, <laughs> the level of customer care that's going to really get you very far right. in, in, in achieving the mission you're trying to achieve. So if we start treating the community more like our partners and instead of like somebody we have to protect animals from, mm-hmm. then we'll, we'll be a whole lot more successful all the way around. Yeah, that's right. And it seems that the communication, right, is the number one, making sure people understand the expectations and what the needs are, because I think some people, they just have no idea. Um, you know, we can't expect them to read minds. They Our community doesn't know what our needs are until we're very explicit and we tell them. And that's something we're really trying to have very clear, transparent communications because things are changing. And also the trust, like you said, we have to put put our faith in the community and that these are their animals we're caring for and we have to trust them that uh, they're going to provide a, you know, a positive, healthy, enriching experience uh, while we get through this. And um, it's a wonderful way for them to step up and support a larger effort while they're at home I read uh, an article recently that one in four adults lives by themselves. And so I've been thinking a lot 
about individuals that are living alone and especially as they keep saying that we could be quarantined um, or or embracing this social isolation isolating policy for even longer and I that worries me um, I have many friends I'm I'm connecting with daily who are living alone and also have compromised immune systems so they're really struggling and uh, one of those friends just signed up to be a foster with HRA after my encouragement that it just, I think this is a really healthy outlet to have something, another little, another little life to focus on um, during this time. So, well, you know, what we, what we get out of, of those relationships with, with animals is, is so far in excess of what we put into it. Yes. And, and I think some folks don't give them, don't open themselves up to that possibility. So hopefully through this, they'll, you know, more and more folks will, will sort of expose themselves to that, that opportunity and will realize the, the great benefits. It's a lot of work. I mean, you know, we, we never yeah. soft sell it. It's a lot of work to, yeah. to, to take care of pets and, and a big responsibility, but man, what we get back out of it is so incredible that, that it's, it's, it's well worth that investment. I'm really hopeful after this thing passes that a lot of these, these brand new foster parents that we've recruited through this, this whole thing will, will want to continue to foster. I mean, I, I, I still believe foster care is one of those life-saving tools that, that mm -hmm. we have underutilized in our industry to a great extent. And of course, the other side benefit is always those foster failures. So yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's maybe we, if we, if we are looking for a silver lining here, we can, we can sort of say a lot of these, a lot of these foster pets are going to end up becoming adoptive pets by the time it's all said and done. Yeah, that's true. I have a few of those myself floating around the house. So. Yeah, we don't we don't even call it foster in our house because we know it's just a euphemism. That's right. Yeah, everyone knows what the deal is. <laughs> oh goodness. So, um, so speaking about mental health issues, you know, compassion fatigue is is something that is already a significant challenge in our industry and. It, I, I'm concerned that this will become even a greater challenge. Um, I, I think about some of my own staff that are working remotely that are very extroverted and being in the shelter for them is a source of, of really a, like a family um, experience for them. And then I think about our other staff that are deemed essential and need to continue showing up to work and are embracing a heavier workload. Um, what guidance do you have for shelters to support their staff during this time? Well, you know, I think it's interesting. I, 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 the real power of the association is our network. And I, mm -hmm. I've always, uh, you know, I've always been amazed when folks don't sort of actively participate in a network of their peers, because I, I can tell you when I got into this field all those years ago, had I not immediately found sort of a group of mentors and a group of colleagues with whom I could sort of share and commiserate and from whom I could seek advice and counsel when things were, were tough. Um, I don't think I would have made it in this field. I mean, it's, 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 it, we can't oversell enough the fact that this is an emotionally taxing business we're in. 
in, yeah. at, in every, at every level, you know, we, we are, we, we end up getting sort of targeted by the community because of, of difficult decisions that we have to make. Um, even though we're not the ones who really created the problem, you know, shelters right. and rescue groups didn't generate these animals that are coming in and having to be dealt with. We're just simply deal addressing the symptoms of them. Yet we, we're the ones who sort of are the lightning rod for when, when things get emotionally heated. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think I, I, it, it may sound like a shameless plug, but I really encourage folks, if you're not members of the association, to consider joining because it is a fantastic network of, of your friends and colleagues and peers. And most of them have been there and done that and are happy to share that with you. Um, so I, 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 can't, I can't stress that enough. I think the worst thing we can do um, as individuals in this field is to emotionally isolate ourselves. You know, we may be, we may be socially isolated and physically isolated right now, but we still don't have to be emotionally isolated in this day and age with technology being what it is. There's absolutely no reason we can't communicate with one another on a regular basis. So it's easy to feel alone, but we're not mm -hmm. alone. You know, we have each other. And of course I, the other thing that I really push for, for folks is don't forget your sense of humor. Mm -hmm. as, as, as difficult as some of our work can be, if we can't find a reason to laugh every day, then it, it's time to move into a different line of work as far as I'm concerned. And then the other thing I'll stress is that I think if, 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 if you think you've learned everything you need to learn, then it may be time to, to hang it up as well. So this is a great opportunity. We're, we're cooped up at home. Um, for many of us, that, you know, we're, we're going from this, this world where we're used to going zero to 60 in two seconds. And now we, we've got a little bit of time to reflect and to think and to focus maybe in a different direction. There are tremendous learning opportunities online. So go take, you know, go take a course. Whether the, we have a learning center, if you go to our website, you can find the Association's Learning Center. There's a tremendous amount of really terrific content there, most of which is completely free to anybody who wants to take it. You know, we have the certification program, the Kawa exam, and if you're, if you're thinking about seeking a certification, this could be a really good time to start preparing for that. Do, do constructive things so that you don't feel hopeless during this. Yeah. This will pass. It's, you know, mm -hmm. we don't know when, we don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know, we don't know when we're going to hit that apex of, of awful. We just don't right. know, but, but it's going to pass eventually. And, and we want to come out on the other side better instead of, instead of weakened and, and afraid. So I say, get yourself a community, find yourself, get, jump on our network. We've got a couple of members only Facebook groups that are fantastic for communicating with your, yeah. your peers and colleagues. Um, find a reason to laugh every day and learn mm -hmm. something during all of this. And, and I think we'll all come through it much more mentally healthy and stable than we would if we just sort of curl up into a ball, which is easy to do. It's easy to close the blinds and get in the fetal position, but, but let's, let's not go there. Right. No, those are, those are incredibly wise words, Jim. And I think, um, tremendous advice that, you know, you may not have your, the community around you uh, right now that you're used to, but there is an entire virtual community of people that are waiting to answer questions and support you and um, send you a silly um, 
animal meme or GIF when you need it, and they're there, (laughs) and they are going through the exact same thing that you're going through. And I am on those Facebook groups, and I participate in the message boards through the association, and I will say they have been um, a wonderful resource for me personally. So I, I would encourage anyone to join up and and get the information you need and the support you they need from the association. So, well, thank you, Jim. This has been um, a really fantastic um, experience to get to chat with you. And I hope that you and your family continue to be safe and healthy. And, um, and I look forward to talking with you again. Thanks, Risa. Same here. Take care of yourself and your family and your staff and, and, and all you listeners out there, take care of yourselves as well. We'll see you on the other side.